God is doing. Um, let me pray, and then we're going to begin opening up several passages. Father, we just praise you and love you so much, and we, we want you to be present. We, we see um, those visuals were just fresh reminders that you're a saving God, and we gather here today because you're a saving God, and we sang praise this morning that you are a saving God. Oh, God, when we fully understand the mess we're in, how precious it is to know that you're a saving God. Thank you, God, for saving sinners. Thank you for saving us. Thank you that there are more sinners, that Jesus has not yet returned. So there is hope. There is hope for those people who have not yet trusted in Christ. And we pray that they would, God. We pray. Many of us have people on our hearts right now that do not know you. And we pray that before they leave this world and before Jesus returns, that they would come to faith in Jesus. Oh, mighty God, saving God, will you continue to help us make that journey from here down to the waters of baptism, seeing more and more people come to confess faith in Jesus Christ. May it happen today, God. Maybe someone right here is either uncertain of their salvation or certain that they're not saved and they have come here seeking you. May all who seek you find you, O God. And we pray that there would be seekers amongst us. There would be people that, people that we know and love, that we, you would answer our prayers, O God, that seekers would become saved. O oh Lord, have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at several passages, and I'm going to repeat some of the passages we looked at last week because we're in a series on spiritual gifts, and it happens to be that we're looking at probably the most of the controversial gifts, and that would be speaking in tongues, and we're, we're trying to look at it biblically. We're trying to look past what we might have heard or what our own experience may or may not have been, and we're simply trying to come and look at the relevant passages of the Bible and ask ourselves, well, what does the Bible teach? What does the Bible teach? When Paul, the apostle, went to the Ephesians in Acts chapter 20, he said, one thing that I have tried to do, God is my witness, and he says, I not have guilt blood against me because I strive to teach the whole counsel of God. And the whole counsel of God includes many things that we might not prefer, it includes many things that are going to challenge every Christian, every Every church works within a context of people that go, oh, I don't like that passage. We're comfortable with this. Every church falls into danger of having its comfort zones, every church. And we can tend to overlook. And our goal is to trust God and let Him be our teacher. And so that's what we are aspiring to this morning. So I'm just going to start with some passages. And if you want to follow along... Uh, by turning in your Bible to those passages, the very first one is Matthew, uh, Mark, rather, chapter 16. I covered several of these last week, but I want to go back to them in case you weren't here. And I also, I just want to reiterate, because I think it's important that you see the flow that I'm trying to um, create in handling this, this topic. Okay, so when Jesus was resurrected and he was spending time with his disciples and he came to them toward the end, just before he ascended into heaven... And he gave to them the commission, the, the assignment that we call the Great Commission, carrying the gospel to all the world. And in Mark 16, verse 14, it says, Afterwards, Jesus appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, and he gives him, here he gives the Great Commission. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, 
But whoever does not believe will be condemned. All these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And they, if they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to those things, was taken up into heaven. Like this was very shortly before he ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Now the book of Acts just picks up there and walks through what it looked like for the beginning years, the early portion of the fulfilling of the Great Commission. And we're on the, I think, the um, closer toward the tail end of this. It started at Pentecost, and we're getting, I think, close. It's just my feeling that we're getting close to the return of Christ. So we're still in this period, though. This Jesus was referring to the period from the outpouring of the Holy Spirit until the gospel went to the ends of the earth. And he said, during that period, these kinds of things will happen. And that's really what he's saying. It's simple. It's not that hard to understand. These kinds of things will happen. So this is what I think we would expect to look for. We turn in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And we have the Great Commission. Again, there's several renditions of the Great Commission several uh, recordings of what Jesus taught. And Luke, in Luke's recording of the Great Commission, he puts an emphasis upon the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the giving of the Holy Spirit to believers. So in Acts chapter 1, we read, So when they had come together and asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And then he, he gives another rendering of the Great Commission. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So in Mark chapter 16, Mark, and possibly through Peter's teaching, is saying, here's our commission from God. And these are the kinds of things will happen. Miraculous healings, uh, speaking in tongues, um, prophecy. And then... Luke says, well, the Holy Spirit will come with power on people. The Holy Spirit of God will come on people. It'll be amazing. It will be power like you've never seen before. It'll be instances and occurrences of things that manifest so clearly that this is not of man. Things that God will do that men could not do and that will accompany. And it'll start in Jerusalem and spread to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, it will cover this is a description of the end times from the, the end times began at Pentecost. He says, and this is the, the, the larger, when we speak of it in the larger context, we're saying, well, this is that last period of history. And during that last period of history, the gospel's going to go. And we're in that time. The gospel is going. And the Holy Spirit of God will accompany with power. Powerful things will happen. Many people will be saved. Lives will be changed. And then, in keeping the promise of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were together in one place suddenly. It was a very distinct moment. There was a situation, and it changed suddenly, instantly. Everything changed. Suddenly, there came from heaven, like a mighty roaring, rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting in divided tongues as of fire. 
So something that looked like tongues on fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So the believers that were there had something that they described and Luke later describes it looked like tongues coming down and resting on all those who were here. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so they're in a meeting, praying, seeking God with all their hearts, longing for God, looking for God, waiting for God to fulfill His promise. And the Spirit of God comes. The first thing is they hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and that would be the Holy Spirit coming. As the Spirit comes, there was this um, audible noise And at the same time, there was this visual coming. And resting upon each of them was a tongue, of of a burning, fiery tongue resting on them. And they began to do something called speaking in tongues. Now, if you'll turn, or you you don't have to turn there, if you just want to listen. In 1 Corinthians 14, it describes this activity um, of speaking in tongues and it says for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God no one understands him but he utters mysteries in the spirit so they were speaking mysteries in the spirit and no one understood what they were saying because they were speaking uh, in tongues and in verse 5 of Acts 2, they began, there, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So they were Jews. They were devout Jews. They weren't new covenant Jews yet. They were devout men of the old covenant. And according to the old covenant, they had come to Jerusalem to worship God at Pentecost on, the, on one of the high holy days. So they had come in obedience to the Old Testament, following God's will as best they understood it. And so operating under old covenant wisdom, they come and they see a new covenant explosion. And it says at the sound of the multitude, so they heard the, the believers were already speaking in tongues. They heard the sound, they gravitated toward where they heard the sound. So they came to this house where the disciples were gathered. And it says they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So according to the way 1 Corinthians 14 describes it, the disciples were uttering mysteries in the Spirit. These people came, and instead of hearing mysteries in the Spirit, they heard the gospel and the proclamation of God in their own language. No one else heard it in their language. Other people heard mysteries in the Spirit. It says, but we heard, we heard our own tongue. The people who were speaking it didn't know that the people who were coming up were hearing they were hearing it says we heard. Each one of us, we were hearing them speak in our own language. And they were amazed and astonished. Aren't, aren't these men Galileans? Like, how are they speaking in our languages? And how is it we hear each of him? We hear in his own native language. And it gives a list of them from the different c- countries where they resided before they came to Jerusalem. And then it says we, verse 11 says, we hear them telling in our own languages the mighty works of God. And they were amazed and perplexed. It's like, how in the world is this happening? Okay, so I'm going to try something. And I've, I've given a lot of thought to Acts 2, 
1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Acts 10, Acts 19. And I've tried to answer this question. Why is it that different churches look at speaking in tongues differently when we look at the same passages? We could also say that with anything. Why do two people come and see an event and report the news so diametrically opposed? Like they're looking at the same events and concluding different um, explanations. And so there's really three interpretations of Acts 2, I think. And the first is just dismiss the whole thing. It's like, nah, just, you know, some people I would call a liberal theology reads the Bible and they don't really believe the Bible they read. That would be one. But in the context of those who do believe the Bible, those who believe the Bible, their context would be it was, it was languages um, spoken by God spoken, given by God, so that the disciples were uttering something they didn't understand, but they were actually uttering a foreign language that these people who came up were able to hear. So if you'll picture this, let's say there's a, a crowd of the disciples there, and they're speaking, and, a, and a, the ground shakes or whatever happens, the wind blows, it's loud, um, attracts a crowd. The crowd comes and a bunch of people are speaking in tongues. And let's just say that it is known human languages, unknown to the speaker. So they're just, they're speaking. I don't know what they're saying, but they're actually speaking in language. So as the crowd comes, everyone in the crowd is picking like, oh, that one over there is my language. So they go over there, and another one's saying, well, that one, that's my language. So they move over here, and another one's like, well, that's my language. And so they gravitate toward where their language was being spoken. This person spoke it, had no idea what's going on. Like, why, why are they coming to me? They're speaking in a language they do not know. People gather and they huddle. And so everyone's finding the one speaking their language. That is the picture that what I would say most, many, or all, let me put it this way, the non-charismatic, non-Pentecostal churches, people who don't believe in speaking in tongues as an ongoing manifestation. It was a one-time event. They spoke these languages, and the people heard them, and they gravitated toward the ones. And they go, man, so-and-so-and-so, they're speaking some really good German. Well, he's speaking some great Italian. Come over here. All you, all you Italian speakers, come up. It's happening over here. And so the picture is like maybe one person is speaking their language. The people who did that came over there, and the crowd kind of breaks into these little language groups. And that's, legit, that's a legit interpretation. And I would call that a one miracle interpretation. That's a one miracle. If that's what happened, that's miraculous. And that is amazing. But then there's another I've thought about. And I thought, I wonder if it's a two miracle interpretation. I wonder if it was two miracles or one. One miracle was they were speaking German, French, whatever language they needed to speak. They didn't know the language. And they were speaking fluid, fluent uh, language. And so there was one miracle occurring. But I wonder if it could be a two-miracle event. And the two-miracle event is like this. The believers there were speaking in tongues. They were uttering divine mysteries. That was a miracle. And then there was a second miracle taking place, and that was the interpretation of tongues. And God gifted the hearers 
in order that everyone heard it in their own language. In other words, something the, the miracle either occurred here once, the speaker speaking great French, or the miracle occurred once, the miracle worker is speaking in an unknown language, and a second miracle is happening that people are hearing in their own language. So there's a double miracle, speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. Or just speaking in foreign languages, tongues. Both are possible. I have moved in my position from, I used to be in the camp of, it was just languages. For years, that's what I was taught. That's all the explanation I heard. Those crazy charismatics have it wrong. It was languages. It's always languages. And so I imposed a grid on every other tongue text that said, well, it's languages. It's known languages. People are speaking an unknown language. So I superimposed my interpretation of Acts 2 over all other tongue texts. And there's a lot of people that do that. There's a lot of people that do that. I did that for years, but I was never satisfied with it. I, I, I kind of like going, okay, I hear you, but there was, I was never satisfied. I just like, I still don't feel like that explains I still don't feel, that doesn't satisfy me. It's not fulfilling. And, I, and, I, and so I had three, a couple of issues that I would struggle with. Number one issue was, I'm not sure that satisfies. So one, one, one issue was hermeneutical. I'm not sure that this interpretation really completely explains what was going on in the church in Acts 12 to 14. It's just like, it's not a fit. I don't think they're over here speaking languages and the people from foreign countries come in and hear. That isn't, it doesn't fit. It's not a fit. Could be that that was what was happening, but that doesn't explain all the tongue texts. Okay? It's like, that could be. So I wasn't saying they were wrongly interpreting Acts 2. I was saying they were misusing Acts 2 to interpret every other tongue text. So when they come to the other text, they immediately apply their interpretation of Acts 2 over all the other text. Now, I'm going to go deep with you here a second. Some of you will love this because you already know about it. And some of you are like going, I've not heard anything like, like that before. And so I'm going, to talk, I'm going to teach you something about two different kinds of theology. And one would be called biblical theology. And biblical theology, it's real simple. Hopefully all theology is biblical, so that's not what it means. Biblical theology is when you take a biblical text and you study it in light of its context, which is exactly what we do. I am a solid believer in biblical theology. You take a text and you interpret that text. You study it. You look at the background. You look at the language, the words, and you study a text within its context. A very biblical thing. I, I, I encourage it for everyone. And that's what Acts 2 components are doing. They study that text. Then there's another uh, way to study, and it's called systematic theology. And systematic theology is when you take all the text that speak on that topic. And you study all of them biblically. You study each text using biblical theology. But then you compile what you've learned to say, wow, what is the teaching of the Bible on, for this instance, tongues? 
And instead of letting one text dominate all the other texts, you study all the text, trying to understand that text in light of other, other light from Scripture, other truth, other things. And so when you come to tongues, I'm going to recommend that you don't let one interpreter interpret all the text for you. And that you open your Bible up and say, God, what does this text teach? What does this one teach? What I've been told this. You know about the Bereans, right? You know about the Bereans? They had a pretty good teacher teaching them. Paul, the apostle, you heard him? And when Paul, the apostle, teach, taught them, they didn't go, well, apostle said it, it's good. Preacher said it. They said, Paul said it. But I want to make sure that even Paul, do you realize, even Paul, the Bible says, even if Paul is your teacher, you better not let anyone rise to the level that you don't go back and check the Bible to see what it says. No one has that authority. No one, no Pope, no Paul, no Peter, no preacher. This is our authority. So in light of that, I begin, or it's something that I just, I didn't really think, I don't think I thought through, but over the years, my problem with a, the particular interpretation that I had been taught and trained in spiritual gifts eliminated the ones that were uncomfortable, declared they've all ceased, and then looked down on anyone as a crazy charismatic who believed in some of the other gifts that were still operative, still at work. And so then my training in theology and my personal experience of not having those gifts and not really being directly connected to churches that had those gifts made me dismiss any other position. I would always come back to that was languages. Or I will say I didn't always come back to that because I struggled with that view. But what I always heard was, well, that's this. Acts 2, you have to interpret all other text, tongue text, with Acts 2 superimposed over it. It's always languages. So that's why I take the time to go back to Mark 16, Acts 1, Acts 2. So my what I think, and I'm not... I'm not I'm not prepared to say that I'm definitively correct. I do think there are two interpretations of Acts 2 that both would be faithful to the text. I think the one miracle view is faithful to the text. It's very well that could be what happened. I think the two miracle view could very well be the best interpretation of the text. But what I want to say after looking at all the texts, I'm very comfortable with interpretation number two and even tend to lean in that direction. When I look at all the text, I'm very comfortable thinking what happened was a divine utterance, a miraculous divine utterance, and what also happened was a divine uh, miracle in hearing. You know, Bob shared a story with us. I wasn't even here that Sunday, but Caleb told me about it. And Bob shared a miraculous event where he was somewhere 
and the gospel was being preached. And I think it was, was it German? Okay, the gospel was being preached and no one there spoke German. A guy came there, didn't understand English. And after the service and somewhere in the midst, he he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole service was in English. And afterwards, he asked one of his friends, how did that guy know German? And he says, what do you mean? He said, I heard in German what he was communicating. And I was thinking, well, it makes sense that God can, God can do that if he wants to. He's the master of the tongue. But I was thinking, could be something like that, where they were speaking in tongues, blessed of God, and then God also gave people, some of the people, the ability to understand in their heart, in their language. So anyway, you, you don't have to agree with me. I think you need to agree with me on one of the two views. You've got to pick a view. I mean, there were miracles happening. There was either one or two. Okay, so now I want to move to Acts chapter 10. And there we have another passage I looked at. And I just want to look at it again because in Acts chapter 2, we have the gospel exploding with power upon the Jewish nation. The gospel went first to the Jews, Romans 1. And Acts chapter 10, Romans 1, and then it goes to the Gentiles. That's us. Most of us are Gentiles. Some of you may, may be Jewish, but I'm pretty sure the large percentage of us would be Gentiles, non-Jews. Um, and, that's, and we're believers. And how did we come to believe? Because of Acts 10. In Acts chapter 10, the believers, um, Peter had a vision and he was told he was in a place called Joppa. Remember that from the story of Jonah? He was in Joppa. And very close to Joppa is Caesarea. There's two Caesareas. There's one further east, but there's one on the sea. And it's often, the Jews often refer to it as Caesarea Maritima. Caesarea by the sea, the maritime. And so at that Caesarea where Paul was in prison, at that Caesarea, there was a group of of, uh, there was a soldier named Cornelius, and he was a believer in the God of Israel, and he had a vision to go find Peter. The same day, or the same very short, within the same time period, Peter had a vision that he saw animals on a sheet coming down from heaven, and the, the point of the vision was. Animals were food. God said, eat these foods. Peter said, they're unclean food. And Jesus basically said, no more. I'm getting rid of that law. It's a hindrance at this point now. Up until that point, it protected the Jewish people and their specific identity until the Messiah came. Once the Messiah came, they didn't need those laws anymore. And he says, no, no, we can now eat everything because we're going everywhere. We're going everywhere. The gospel bus is moving out. And it can stop at any restaurant. And so the gospel exploded on the scene in Acts chapter 10. And in Acts chapter 10, Peter came to visit with Peter, to visit with um, Cornelius, and he preached the gospel to them. Um, Okay, so he preaches the gospel. And 
Here's what happened in verse 44 of chapter 10. Peter was still saying these things. In other words, he preached the gospel. He preached the gospel. Peter preached the gospel in Peter's native language. There's no tongues yet. He's preached the gospel. Peter preaches the gospel of Jesus in his own language. And the people there have been listening to Peter preach. They don't, they, there's, no, they're not, there's no language barrier. There's no gap. It's like he's not going to need to speak in a language they would understand. They're understanding. They are ecstatic. They're so excited about this gospel. They are thrilled. And then Peter was still saying, if you go back and read chapter 10, you get to read all that Peter was teaching them. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he preached about the Messiah and and God raising him in the resurrection. So he has preached the gospel to them. They are so excited. But they're not the only ones excited. God is excited. And he sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So Peter's preaching in Peter's native tongue. And these people heard him. Whatever, you know, if Peter was preaching Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic. Whatever language Peter was preaching in. His native language. Speaking to people who understood what he was saying. And they are so excited and so open to a work of God that the Holy Spirit falls on all who heard the word. They have already heard the word. And believers from among the circumcised, like the Jews that were with Peter, like going, what is up? They're amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Well, how did he know it was poured out? Because the Gentiles suddenly start speaking in tongues. Now remember I talked about this last week. In Acts chapter 2 it was the believers who were speaking in tongues. And Acts 10 it's the new believers who were speaking in tongues. Here it was the believers proclaiming the word of God speaking in tongues. And here it's the believers receiving the word of God who begin to speak in tongues. It's so phenomenal. And it says because the gift of the Holy Spirit was given them. They were given the gift. This is the gift we're talking about folks. This is the gift in our gift study. And they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. It was poured out on them. And it says, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Like the, the Jews, the Jews who came there as believers were hearing these Gentiles. They were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. It doesn't say they were hearing them speaking other languages. It says they were speaking in tongues. And it's possible they were speaking in other languages, but we know they were speaking in tongues. And 1 Corinthians 14 says they were uttering mysteries of God. They were speaking a, a language that they didn't know. And there's no indication that Peter and his guys knew. It just says these people, unbelievers, were going through this spiritual experience where they were speaking in tongues and everybody was excited. And then Peter declared, We need to baptize these guys. Can we, anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? They've received the Holy Spirit just like we have. Just like we did back at Pentecost. This is happening again. And God is affirming my dream I had just a couple of days before I dreamed that we need to start changing things so we can go reach the world for Jesus and all nations. And here, just... He goes from Joppa to Caesarea, which is just not far away at all. He just walks a little walk and he watches the Holy Spirit come upon them. And they start manifesting evidence. There's clear evidence. There's testimony that the Spirit of God was receiving them because they did something that was unheard of. 
First of all, it was unheard of that anyone had ever done it in Acts 2. And then it was unheard of and unthinkable because in Acts 2, the Jews never thought the Gentiles might do this. And God shows you, I'm about to blow your minds. We're going to go around the whole Mediterranean Sea sharing the gospel with Gentiles. And, that, and that's what happened. And it says they were, they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Like, like we should. Gentiles were baptized and received Christ. Okay, Acts chapter 19, Paul's on a missionary journey. And on his missionary journey, he comes to Ephesus. This is right at the end of chapter 19 as it goes into chapter 20. And he's on this journey. Of, um, and he's, he's hanging out with the Ephesians. And um, he comes upon a group of them. And there were, um, in chapter, I'm sorry, at the beginning of 19, it says, uh, Paul... Apollos was at Corinth. Paul passed through the inland and came to Ephesus. And he found some disciples. Later we read there was 12 of them. There were 12 believers at Ephesus. And they were believers in God. They were believers in the Old Testament. And they had their understanding had come right up to where John the Baptist was. Like they didn't really have a lot of New Testament knowledge. They just believed that John was a messenger of God preaching the gospel, repent from sin, be baptized, the Messiah has come. And that's about the extent of their information. And he said, he found some disciples and said, hey, hey guys, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Like, have you experienced this new covenant blessing? Have you moved from your old covenant theology into the new covenant yet? That's what he's really asking them. Do you understand what's happened? Not only did John proclaim and identify who the Messiah was, Messiah has come and he has risen from the dead and he has sent, he has gone back to heaven and he has sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is on the move. And they said, no, we never heard there is a Holy Spirit. We, like, this is new teaching to us. You can tell they're like hungry. It's like, no, get that strange fire out of here. They're like, what, what? Bring it. Tell us this sounds awesome. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, John's baptism. They're, they're basically saying, we're, we're up, here's where we are in our understanding. And they're like going, whoa, there's more. He says, there's more into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance. And they said, yeah, 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 we did that. To believe the one who's come after him. Yeah, yeah, we believe. We heard about Jesus. We believe in him. But they didn't understand the implications of the resurrection yet. On hearing this. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, they were given their first Trinitarian baptism. They were given their first, they, they had been baptized in the name of, John was baptizing in the name of God for confession of sins and repentance. But Jesus' baptism was when the Trinitarian formula began to be used in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. Now, there's no water in this one. There was water when they did the, have you been baptized in the baptism of John? There was water there. And now there's a waterless baptism, verse 6. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. It didn't say he went to a river. Now, he went to a river with people who had never been baptized and had um, 
confess their sin and come. But in this situation, he, he believed they were already believers who had been baptized with the baptism of John, like the disciples had, like Jesus himself had. And then it says, well, you, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus since you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name ever. And he laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Um, Mark 6 said, Mark 16 says, well, here's some stuff that'll happen. Acts 1.8 says, well, here's what'll happen when the Holy Spirit comes. Acts chapter 2 says, well, here's what happened. The Holy Spirit came on these Jews. And Acts chapter 10 said, and here's what happened when people, Gentiles, are coming into the faith. And Ephesians 19, it says, and here's what, here's what happened there in Ephesus. And people had a little bit of new covenant knowledge, but they didn't understand the new covenant fullness once Jesus was raised from the dead and resurrected. The Holy Spirit's come. And so you see this progression. Okay, um, here's what I want to do. I, next week, I, I never saw three weeks coming, but I, I, during the week, I just go, man, this is so good. This is so rich, so helpful. Um, so next week, if you want to know, we're going to be looking at Romans 8. And it's probably the richest text and teaching on the Holy Spirit in all the Bible. I'm guessing it's Romans 8. And then... We're going to peer into a church service in Corinth. And that's Romans 12 to 14. We're going to look at their church service. That's what we've been gifted with. We've been given a church service. And we're going to look at that. So I want you to read. If you have questions, you type me your questions. You're going, you're crazy. Here's why. Go ahead and email me. I might go, delete, delete, delete. But hey, (laughs) it's okay. Um, I really want to know what you're wrestling with and what your questions might be. And if we come to this book, then that's, I think, as a whole, I think that's what I sense God is doing in our church. Lord, lead us and guide us. If there's something we're missing, we want it. If there's something we should avoid, we want to avoid it. We just want you to lead. Lead us, God. Lead us. That's, what we're, that's where we're going. So if you want to prepare for next week, it's Romans 8 and these three chapters that deal with church services in the church at Corinth that are going to help our church as we're trying to figure out, well, what of that are we supposed to be doing? How is that a guide for us? That's the question we're trying to ask. Father, we thank you this day, and we just pray, Lord, we want to be filled with your Holy Spirit as individuals. We want to be filled with your Spirit as a church of Jesus Christ when we sing your praises, when we call people to faith. And so even this morning, God, right now, I just pray you've been working in people's hearts as the word of God has been preached, as we've been singing your name and singing your praises. God, may our hearts just run towards you. May we believe that every gift that you have would be a good gift. Every gift from above is perfect. We want you to choose for our church. We want you to lead us. We want you to work. We want you to save people. We want the gifts that you have for us. And we want to be obedient. And we also want to be thrilled at watching you work just like you promised you would do come holy spirit come in our presence lord jesus be honored and glorified holy spirit lift jesus up in our name and father we too are pleased with your son we are very pleased you said you were pleased with him we're very pleased with jesus we don't want anyone else we're not going anywhere else to look we thank you lord jesus for being in our church being in our midst being our leader 
we pray right now as we close out, God, may our hearts just right now, we just suddenly just turn our attention to you, sing your name, sing your praise. Fill us, oh God, with awe and wonder as we look to you, as we close out this service, service just lifting up your blessed name in Jesus' name.